Well, just the other week, I had to almost break into my own house. I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, if you've locked yourself out and you're trying to discover ways to get in. But we were having a sibling hangout night. It got very late. Susan and I get home, and it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're on our porch, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I do not have my keys. Um, and uh, so we were like, okay. Um, I start knocking on the door, and I ring the doorbell a couple times, and uh, it was this kind of an ironic moment as I'm nervously ringing the doorbell like an irresponsible parent, hoping that my sleeping responsible children will wake up and open the door for me. And uh, so I'm standing there, Susan and I, and, and uh, Nelson and Kathy are there too, because we all drove together, and hence I had no key. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh boy. And uh, as I'm you know, nervously ringing the doorbell, nobody's coming to the door, so Susan shifts into problem-solving mode, which was to smash a window in our, the side of our garage with a lawn chair so that we could break into our home. So as a great idea as that was, I said, well, let's just try a couple more times here. To, uh, and, and, and as I was uh, you know, deterring my wife from throwing a, 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 a something through the window so we could get into the house, I saw this shadowy figure moving toward the door. And... Um, and as one of my children moved toward the door to open it up, I had another ironic moment as I was standing there as a parent thinking, I hope they're not mad at me. Um, I hope they don't yell at me. <laughs> I hope they're merciful toward me. And so it was strange. Um, today's text is from John chapter 10, the first 10 verses. It is a, a well-known passage of scripture where Jesus says, I am the door. The only way in. Anybody who tries to get in another way, thief and robber. You know, I was a little nervous about Susan's plan because as far as everybody else would be concerned, throwing a chair through a window and climbing into your garage looks very much like you're a thief and a robber. John chapter 10, Jesus makes this very bold claim. It's very exclusive. It's very striking. And this is our text for this morning as we explore who God is and who it is that we're worshiping when he makes these statements about himself, describing himself, saying, I am. And these all recall Exodus chapter 3, where God first appears to Moses and he says, I am the great I am. I am who I am. A series of verbs in the Hebrew, meaning I've always been and I am being and I'll always be. That's how he revealed himself. And then we looked at how he said, I'm, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm, I am the nourishment. You can try and nourish your soul on other things and you'll always be hungry and you'll always need more. I'm the bread. And then we looked at how he said, I am the light of the world. Right? I illuminate truth. And not only do I illuminate truth, I illuminate the dark, unevangelized, sinful parts of your heart so that you will turn from those things and live in the glory and the true freedom of the light instead of wandering around in your darkness and calling that freedom, which it is not. He said, I am the great I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And this morning we look at John chapter 10, the first 10 verses where Jesus says, I'm the door. Starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in any other way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And we has brought all uh, of his own out. He goes before them. 
and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is God's word. So we have this imagery of sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds, and this is something that's been common all throughout Israel's entire history. That's been the imagery um, throughout Scripture. Psalm 23 is a very famous passage. Many people know it because it talks about the great shepherd. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want, or I shall not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was something that all of Israel knew. It was ingrained into their hearts. He is the great shepherd. We are his sheep. This this whole imagery. So Jesus now recalls all of this imagery that they all knew. And of course then he applies it to himself. He's continually going through all of the scriptures and saying all of this is actually pointing to something that I'm coming to say. And something that I'm coming to do and something I'm coming to give. So he he, uh, recalls this imagery that of course everybody would be familiar with. And in the ancient world the sheepfold was attached to the shepherd's home. So I've been to various countries in kind of uh, some of the countries in northern Africa where I've been to homes and it's like this. They've got some sheep out in a pasture, but there's a sheepfold attached right to their house. So that was very common in the ancient world and it's very common today still in, in uh, certain, certain regions. And so for the sheep to come through the door was to come home. For the sheep to come through the sheepfold was to come home. It was this imagery of security and provision and peace. And so this sheepfold, this group of sheep in the sheepfold, it represents, of course, the people of God. And so by saying, I am the door, Jesus is painting a very stark contrast between his message and the message of the religious leaders at the time. Because he's calling them all thieves and robbers. It's a stark contrast. I don't know if any of you have been in art class where they would make you do contrast paintings and they would give you a white canvas and black paint and that's all you get. So there's no shades, there's no gray areas. It's You've got to be very, very specific with where you put the black paint because the contrast that's being created is what's creating the image. Black and white. And this is what Jesus does. He goes, I am the door. Here's a contrast painting for you. And he just makes it very, 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 very striking. It's a striking image. And... Uh, between his message and the Pharisees' message. He doesn't leave any gray areas. And then he paints another picture. So he paints the first picture of himself being a door, and then he paints another picture of thieves and robbers. So just imagine, use your imagination, because this is how the Bible was predominantly meant to be heard as opposed to read, because they were an oral culture. So imagine now you've got a picture of a door, and you've got a sheep gate, 
and you've got sheep in the sheepfold, and they're all enjoying peace and tranquility and, and security. And then there's a bandit, you know, climbing over the fence, another guy's digging a hole underneath. There's another guy over here, like a wily coyote situation with a stick of TNT, throwing it into the, trying to blow a hole in the rock or something to get his way in. This is what Jesus is painting, this image. I'm the only way in here. People have got in other ways, but they're stealing and killing and destroying the peace in your soul with what they're coming to offer you. This stark contrast. So at the end of the portion of the scripture in verse 10, that was the last verse that I read, Jesus brings out the big guns by saying the thief comes to steal. It doesn't just stop there because we all know thieves steal. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Wow. And he says, and I've come that they would have life and then have it more abundantly. So we're going to unpack what all of that means this morning um, as, we look at, as, as we look at this. So here's today's sermon in a sentence. And kids, if you look down at your notes, you'll find this at the top. Jesus is the door that leads us into the grace of God. He le- leads us into enjoying life with God. And he is the basis for everything the preacher ever teaches to the people of God. He's the only way you get into God's grace, and he's the only way I can come to you. That's what this text is saying. There's only one way, and it's him. Now, let's break it down. What is this all, what's he really, what's he really getting at? Because when Jesus says something will steal from you and kill you and destroy you, that warrants a little bit of attention. So let's look at these things first. He says all the priests and all the Pharisees and all the religious leaders in the community are these thieves and robbers. Think about how alarming that would be, because think about who who those people were, right? So you're the original audience, and you're being told. Everybody who's supposed to be telling you the right thing is telling you things that are going to kill you. This is striking. That's why he, you'll notice four times in that passage I just read you, he used the words, truly, truly, right? Truly, truly, I say to you. And whenever, and in the Greek, it's amen, amen, right? So amen, amen. To say amen is to say, this is true, or so be it. So you'll notice in our liturgy, each time the Word of God is read every Sunday, uh, when someone comes up here and reads the Word of God, we respond with, Amen. This is true. So be that in my life. Right? You'll notice that every Sunday when, before I preach, when I read the, God's Word, after I read it, I say the same thing every Sunday. I don't know if any of you have noticed this. Every single Sunday after I read God's Word, I say, This is God's Word. Because that's a definitive line. When I'm reading his word, it is non-negotiable. I don't care what you think about it. It's non-negotiable. But then after that line, I am doing my best to be as faithful as I can to expound upon what is non-negotiable. And when I say non-negotiable, I don't mean slap, you know, you know, slap, slap, you know, get, get your game together and live straight. What I'm saying, when I say non-negotiable, I mean, this is the non-negotiable nourishment that leads you into all of the peace and the joy and the life with God that God wanted at the beginning. This is the non-negotiable nourishment, his word. And so here, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he is amening himself before he even gives the teaching. So that's always an attention grabber in the ancient world because people weren't amening themselves before they did teaching. Right? Today, you shouldn't be amening yourself before you do. I shouldn't get up here and be like, amen, amen, and here I go. Because, it, well, maybe what you say is true. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe you're faithful to God's word. Maybe you're close. I don't know. You're not an infallible pope. We are all sitting under God's word. So Jesus says, this is 
True, it is non-negotiable. On the door. He's amening himself. Today, the word amen, it's been so broadly used, it's so overused, it's lost, it's sting, because we've become, so, because sometimes you have a, there's, there's a weird culture in Christianity where there's some folks that it's just, it's audible, they amen everything. Man, that was a good burger, amen. Oh, I wish I could go for some dessert, amen, amen. Let's get some dessert, amen. I mean, amens are everywhere, so we're kind of like, we're, it's lost on us. But what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's, he's taken a white canvas and a black brush, and he's going, let me make this super clear. And it's striking. The tone of it is public service announcement. Church, all the people who know the scriptures better than you and all the people who are obeying the rules better than you are saying things that are stealing, killing, and destroying you. Wow. That's pretty harsh. What does that mean, then? I mean, the people who were supposed to be conveying the heart of God weren't even remotely close to understanding the heart of God, let alone conveying the heart of God. So what were they stealing and what were they misrepresenting? Well, in verse 9, Jesus says, If anyone enters by me, they'll be saved, and they will go in and out and find pasture. Okay. So then he's clearly saying, if he says, if anyone enters by me, they find salvation. And he's clearly saying that if anybody enters by the religious conversation about behavior before God instead of belief in the Son of God, that's stealing their salvation. That's stealing our salvation. He says, if anyone comes by me, they'll be saved. If anybody comes in by me, they'll be enjoying life with God, which means the message from the religious leaders was so dead wrong, it was stealing their freedom of the enjoyment of life with God because they were in a constant state of anxiety before God. Because they were in a constant state of wondering what their standing was before God. Because that was the message that was being brought by the religious, religious leaders of the day. I'll give you a prime example of this. One chapter earlier, if you go home and read what happened before Jesus said this. Jesus heals, heals a blind man. And what are all the religious people doing? Not dancing around glorifying God. They're going, he can't be the son of God. He did it on the Sabbath. He's got a devil. That's what happened right before this text. So just to give you the context. So Jesus is like, I need to just paint this with a black brush on a white canvas to be like, we couldn't be more polar opposite. These religious leaders with this idea of their behavior before God is is what is saving them are operating with such a demonic level of confirmation bias that I can heal a blind man and they'll say, I have a devil. That's how messed up the religious community was. And that's how opposite they were of the grace of God. That they, they couldn't even convey the heart of God to the people. So Jesus is like, I'm the door. Everybody else are thieves and robbers. All of them. Universally. That's why he uses the word all. All means all. I checked it in the Greek. All. Panta. Everything. And he's like, he, it's, it's striking. So then in verse 10, like we said, he talks about the stealing, this killing, this destroying. Because their message was the opposite of what he had come to say and to do. Which means that that to to, to suggest that it is not Christ alone who saves you is to kind of pry pry your way into a pulpit and preach a message that steals, kills, and destroys. And you may say, I don't even know I need this sermon this morning because I'm not a preacher. So, you know, why do I even need to listen to this? Paul's... Paul should just be preaching this to himself. First of all, I did preach it to myself all week. You should know that. Secondly, 
I'm like, oh God, help me. Secondly, you're all priests in your homes. Uh, and you have an opportunity to share the goodness and the grace and the love of God with your children and with your grandchildren. And so it's critical that we all understand the glorious heart and grace of God so that we can live to the glory of that grace and invite our kids and our grandkids and kids into the goodness of that grace and not convey and communicate a message to them that steals and kills and destroys their little souls. And so this is why all of us can sit in, the, in this and marvel at what Jesus said and marvel at what he's done for us and then in turn go and, and live out in the great freedom of all of this and what it means. Because the stealing and killing and destroying, it has day-to-day implications. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're thinking, wow, this is all really interesting, but it also has to do with the ancient world, and P.S., it's 2018. Well, this has radical day-to-day implications, so let's get into them now. Because by using this term sheep and constantly calling us sheep, Jesus gives us some great insight on things, because sheep are notoriously nervous. They are notoriously in anxiety. Sheep are not chill animals. Sheep are the opposite of chill animals. Sheep are jumpy. Sheep are what you call, they are what you call a gregarious animal. They are gregarious. They, they live in community, and when one sheep freaks, they all the sheep freak. That's sheep. And this is, of course, the image that Jesus uses to describe us, which is perhaps not the most flattering, and yet so true to the core. So all of us in this room deal and struggle with measure of of anxiety and worry um, because we were humans on planet Earth. Some of you struggle with those things in a, in a deep and a profound way, and I'm not going to minimize that and say it's all the same because it isn't all the same. Um, but yeah, I think we can all relate, though. And so Jesus uh, you know, gives us this great picture of these, of these sheep that are constantly notoriously nervous, and sheep are also constantly and notoriously prey. So, apart from the great shepherd and constantly turning and going through a very particular door in my day-to-day life, for you to go through a particular door in your day-to-day life, you are essentially living life as prey. Prey to the worry, the anxiety, the anxiousness of what it is to be a human on planet Earth. Pray to the worry, the anxious anxiety, to the anxiousness of the volatility of our culture, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it is uh, political. You're a constant prey just just by the just by the mere, but just by the sheer fact that you're a human being. You're a constant prey of the environment in the sense that none of us live forever. So there's only one door we can go through, constantly, repeatedly so that our souls can enter into a place of true soul rest and peace. And in the ultimate sense, which is the immediate context of this verse, we will be jumpy and anxious about our standing before God if we think that what's making our standing before God our behavior before God as opposed to our belief in the Son of God, which is Jesus' point, his immediate point. But I want you to see the day-to-day implications of this. Because if the, if the day-to-day implications are not that you and I find our ultimate rest by continually going back through that door to Christ to rest, then that's going to play out in how we approach our careers and how we walk across the campus and how we engage in relationships and how we engage in our uh, marriages and how we parent our children, how we relate to ethics, 
It's going to play out because we're going to be very jumpy, anxious sheep unless our souls are brought to a place of rest in Christ our Savior. And so that's the, image, that's, that's the imagery here between uh, the sheep that are not in the fold and the sheep that come through the door and they're in this fold. So Jesus comes with this message that saves the sheep out of this constant state of anxiety and, and timidity. So kid, kids, if you look down at your notes, there's, a, there's a, uh, a statement here and I want you to look at it. Because the image that Jesus is painting of a sheep that's going in and out uh, and finding pasture is that the sheep that's going in and out and finding pasture is not worried and not anxious. They're at peace. So you and I, we go in and out, living our lives, enjoying life with God, in peace and confidence, knowing that hell or high water, our lives are in the hands of God. That's what it means to go in and out and to find pasture. Right? Let's, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Again, let's go back to the ancient world. So in the region, I should say, because it's not even really the ancient world, it's still true today, in the region where these scriptures were written and where uh, all of these things took place, there could be an area that was lush one day but not lush the next. You could take your sheep to a field and if, if, a, if a particular wind blew in uh, from the desert, it would dry everything out. So all the time, there's regions of the world where the sheep are on the move. They're constantly being led by the shepherd. They're constantly in a state of dependency on the shepherd. They're constantly in a state of being, of, of being dependent and trusting because they're constantly being moved. Because something that's lush and green today isn't necessarily lush and green tomorrow. So when Jesus says that the sheep come in through this door, me, and they go in and they out, they go in and out and they find pasture, it's an image of sheep that are dependent and trusting, that are going in and out through their life, whether it's career, education, marriage, rearing children going in and out through Christ. You see, we've been saved by grace, so now we're desiring to be guided by the Lord of grace. He's the, he's the door and the shepherd. We'll get to the shepherd next week, but do you, do you, are you following this? So it's in and out, and it's peace. But if you're not going through, if ultimately your hope and your rest is not in Christ, what are you going to do when life dries up? Which it will. Something's always drying up. If you're an employee, the economy is... Perhaps in the, in, the, in the zone of where your work is, there's, there's times where there's seasons where there's a threat of something drying up. If you're a business owner, there are possible threats that rear their ugly heads on occasion, but there are revenue streams that could dry up. If you are in relationship with somebody, life is hard. Relationships are difficult. Relationships can dry up. Not just romantically, though that is true, but also just platonically. There are challenges in life that cause relationships and things to dry up. Just because something's green today, it's not always green. Nobody's life, regardless of your worldview, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you're exploring Christian faith, you may say, well, that kind of describes everybody's life. True statement. Right? Nobody's life is lush and green all the time. Nobody. So what Jesus is explicitly saying is, I am the door by which you come and you find rescuing grace, and then you lead a life of ref constant reforming grace, whereby your trust and your hope and the peace in your heart is in the fact that it is not your behavior before God that makes you okay. It is your belief in the Son of God that has justified you. And now you can go in and out and he can lead you through the dry times with peace in your heart. This is the glorious goodness of the gospel of Jesus painting the stark picture saying, I am the door. And so, therefore, every preacher and teacher who comes to the church has to come through this door. That's the immediate context. That's why he's saying thieves and robbers have come another way. Because everything that I am saying to you to try and 
convey the goodness of the grace of your Savior, enable you to walk out of this place with a new sense of hope and confidence that you are in the security of your Savior, everything that I am saying here has to be done through the lens of the goodness of your Savior. What the religious leaders were doing was they were completely rejecting that Jesus was the Savior, and they were insisting that behavior was the Savior. So the reason why this is important is because all of us, of course, are raising children, and we have families and relationships and people in all of our lives who, when we go to minister the good news of the gospel to them, there's only one door that can go through, and it is the door of Christ alone and his grace for all of us. So this is this picture of our lives being, the goodness of our lives being in the hands of God, finding peace, finding pasture. In, in, in times and seasons where things are, are drying up. Because you can imagine um, the anxiety that that would create if you were under the belief that what was making you okay before God was your behavior, and then something in your life dries up. Your career, your health, relationship. And if fundamentally you believe at the core that the reason why all of life should work out is because of these levers you're pulling and these buttons you're pushing, like the religious leaders, they're saying, hey, keep the law and everything's going to be good. You know, and then you've got these books in the Old Testament, like, you know, well, P.S. Job, a guy who perfectly kept the law and things weren't good. I right? to kind of throw a wrench in that ridiculous theology. But if you believe that, well, the reason my life should be good is because I'm pushing all the le- buttons and I'm pulling all the levers, then when something dries up, you're going to have a crisis of faith. And that's why, that's why that sort of teaching, that sort of theology, it steals, it kills, it destroys your peace. It steals, it kills, it destroys your sense of anxiety. I'm sorry, your sense of peace, it replaces it with anxiety. But the goodness of the gospel is that it takes us through those dry times, the hard times of life. So Jesus says, in verse 10, at the end of it, after the stealing, killing, and destroying, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So what is that then? What is that abundant life? Because this, this text, he doesn't say, have it more abundantly, and P.S., the abundant life looks like... Da, 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 da. He, doesn't, he doesn't lay that all out like us North Americans would want him to. So we have to go back to this, you know, this imagery of, of the sheep. We have to look at what happened before with the religious leaders. What does he mean when he says abundant life? Because the church today, North America, and I'm North Americans, we have been thoroughly saturated with ideas of manifest destiny through nominal, cultural, evangelicalism. An idea that, well, the abundant life is you come to God and you place your faith in Christ alone and then you're hashtag blessed and everything works out and things are good. Right? That's the blessing of God. Well, it certainly, can look, it certainly can look those ways. That That's absolutely true. But that's also absolutely too small. And I'll tell you why it's too small. Because if what Jesus meant by abundant life was your body was going to be healthy and your finances would be healthy and your marriage was going to be healthy and your kids are going to be healthy, if, if, that's, if it can mean all those things, and all those things can be very true, but if that's actually what he meant, that's, that's way too small. And also we have major problems because what happened to the apostles? Uh, those guys got a lot of things wrong then. And they were, they were the front runners. Or what about third century Rome? Their life didn't look hashtag blessed either, the, the church... What about the, today, in 2018, the developing nations? If we think about our brothers and sisters around the world worshiping Jesus in developing nations who are under the threat of persecution and various other uh, 
incredible challenges, uh, what does it mean? What would it mean for them? If I wasn't preaching here this morning, but I was preaching in South Sudan like I did back in 2014, how would I preach abundant life in South Sudan? How would I preach abundant life in Guatemala City where there's 40 murders a day? How would I preach abundant... How do you preach that? What does he mean? Well, the good news of the gospel is that your heart is in this place of rest, nourishment, security, and peace... Even if your body is not healthy, even if your finances are not healthy, even if the circumstances of your life are not healthy. We, that's why we go to Christ, otherwise we go to some mini-Messiah. If we don't go through the door, we're going to go to something that's way too small. And I'm not diminishing uh, that the blessing of God can look like the, the fact that your body is healthy. Some of you are enjoying that. And you know what? I know something. If your body is healthy, that is a gift of God. So you can use that healthy body of yours to love other people. Because quite frankly, this life isn't all there is. And the gospel enables us to dial ourselves out of ourselves. But some of you don't have bodies that enable you to do that. And that's quite fine. You can have the hope of the gospel even in that. Even in that frustration and that sickness. And the same is true of finances. And the same is true of our, our, of our relationships. That the blessing of God is not handcuffed and shrunk down where it's held hostage to the circumstances of our life. The gospel frees us and liberates us because it invites us through the door of Christ and into the sheepfold where our, where our souls can actually find rest. And that's why the Lord's Day, Sunday, this day of rest, is a day of uncoiling. It's a day of restful unwinding. It's a day of restful recalibrating. You know, it's very difficult for us as North Americans because we want the Lord's Day to be the Lord's hour. You know, we want it to be like, hey, we come. If the preacher doesn't preach too long, we're in and out in an hour. And now it's Saturday volume two. And I'm not putting I'm not putting some sort of a legalistic burden on you like and keep the Lord's Day like this. I'm not going to do that because the point is you can be sitting on your couch doing nothing, not keeping the Lord's Day because your mind is completely anxious as you worry about all of life. The whole point of the Lord's Day, the rest, is to enter into this. It's to go into, through the door of Christ into the sheepfold so that your soul can curve back out and find peace. And this abundant life is the glorious good news of the gospel that we can have joy, peace, and strength, even when uh, life is not healthy and things are not good and life dries up like a field that the sheep fed in one day and it was lush and green and the next day the thing is dead and dry and the shepherd says, we have to move from here. That's all of, that's all of life for us. A place of dependency and trust. My life is in God's hands. Absolutely in God's hands. You see, the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ gives life to your soul by enabling you to relate to God with confidence and with security because the indicator of how God feels about you is not the circumstances you have to deal with on Monday morning. The indicator of how God feels about you is the cross. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. And if you want to know how God feels about you and what he has done about you, you look at the cross and the resurrection because it's a picture of the glorious things to come. And Jesus came to say, I am the door that leads you into the grace of God, that leads your soul into the enjoyment of life with God, and I am the basis for everything that any teacher, preacher, should ever 
say to come to the people of God. Let's pray.